This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. We begin tonight's program with a show that is known to have raised the hair on the back of listeners' necks in the late 40s. Well, 1948, to be exact, for tonight's presentation. Quiet, please. The show was produced at WOR in New York City. Now, each episode began with the announcer intoning the show's title. Quiet, please. Followed by a long pause, sometimes up to seven seconds before repeating the title. Quiet, please. Then the show's theme music was played, a dirgy, funereal organ and piano version of a portion of the second movement of Cesar Frank's 1899 Symphony in D minor. How's that for show content, huh? <laughs> the introduction established the sparse, understated tone of the show and has inspired collectors and reviewers to remark upon Willis Cooper's use of the dramatic power of silence. Though the general thrust of the stories were fantasy, horror, and suspense, Cooper's Quiet Please scripts covered a broad thematic range, including romance, science fiction, crime, family drama, and humor. And regardless of content, most episodes had a dreamlike, surreal quality, where odd or paranormal events were not always explained. One critic wrote that the show's characters walked in a fuzzy dream world, where the element of menace was ripe as ever present. It's been noted that the originator of the series, Willis Cooper, was a master of the opening line. Almost every episode of Quiet, Please begins with a sentence or two that hooks the listener, commanding their attention and their curiosity. Let's go to our episode for tonight, entitled One for the Book. Quiet, please. Broadcasting Company presents Quiet, Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper and which features Ernest Chappell. Quiet, Please, for today is called One for the Book. Once upon a time when there were more lieutenants than lieutenant colonels in the Air Force, and when you could tell a cadet by his blue suit like a mailman's, a thing happened. And if you think the boys from the bright blue yonder got snafu'd sometime in this last war, brother, I'm here to tell you you ain't seen nothing yet. Because this was the largest, the most comprehensive, the doggondest. Well, I have to tell you. And the thing about it is, this snafu isn't over yet. It won't be over for nine years. 
Listen, I'll tell you. Ever hear of Muir Rock Dry Lake? Well, you go out San Fernando Road and you turn off at Fremont Pass onto 6 instead of going up over the ridge route. You go up through Mint Canyon, see, and on through Palmdale and Lancaster. Then you take a road off to the right by the SP station. After about 40 miles of Joshua Trees, you get to Muir Rock, and a big, tough MP tells you, turn around, go back where you came from. Because that's where they got the jets, where guys are ringing them out so fast they sometimes get where they're going before they've started. And they tore up the welcome mat a long time ago. But back in the early part of 1937, well, it was kind of different. Muir Rock which incidentally is not an Indian name, it's just the name Coram spelled backwards, like on the radio. Coram Brothers was ranches that owned a joint. And it's just what you think it is, the bottom of an old dried-up lake. It's flat as a billiard table, flatter than the one in the officer's club at Maxwell. And back in those days, you could take your car out in the middle and open her up to 80 and sit back and watch. Look, Mama, no hands. Which was quite a lot of fun, though. Some newspaper guy blew a tire and did 108 snap rolls with it, with the customary results. Well, it ain't like that today. I mean, the lake's still there, but it isn't a lonesome place anymore. The lobo wolves and the coyotes and the rattlesnakes and the roadrunners have scrammed. They got an installation there that... Well, never mind. You're not going to see it, but it's a biggie. And the lake itself is about the biggest landing field in the world. You could set down anywhere, practically. Well, the Air Corps decided back in 1937 to have them a big air maneuvers there at Muir Rock. So in came about everything they had that could fly. Martin B-10Bs from Langley, P-26s from Selvage and Maxwell Randolph. And a bunch of skinny blue things they called PB-2As that came from... I don't have any idea. And over at March Field at Riverside, they had a flock of A-17s, attack jobs, two-seaters that North of made. They had holes in their flaps, I remember. First ones to have holes in their flaps. And there was a lot of other miscellaneous stuff. It was quite colorful. P-26s painted OD. The bombers black and yellow. They all had yellow wings. The PB-2As were blue and the A-17 shiny Doral. Everybody had the red and white stripes on the rudder and the big old white star and the blue circle on the wings. All 300 of them. All we had, practically, in 1937. And anti-aircraft. Complete with the 1937 version of radar, a cluster of big horns on a trailer with a guy wearing earphones in the middle of them. You couldn't spit half a mile away if the horns was pointed at you, and it counted you bust the guy's eardrum. And there was a bunch of movie guys taking pictures. They had plenty of expense money. They didn't shoot crap so good. So, one way and another, it was quite a thing. And, brother, it was hot. Yeah, it still is. It'd get down to 40 or 50 in the early morning, and by noon it was up to 115 with the sun bouncing off that white lake bottom and mirages everywhere you looked. Well, I was a crew chief in a P-26 squadron from Selbridge, see? Oh, excuse me, I didn't introduce myself. Westlake's my name. Max Westlake, Captain USAF. I was a staff sergeant in 1937. Up there at Muroc, I got acquainted with a guy. Of all things, a sergeant in an anti-aircraft outfit named Bill Carrant. And I remember how this snafu started. Bill and I were sitting in a bar in Lancaster one Saturday, drinking beer, listening to Pancho Barnes, God rest her soul, 
telling about buzzing a church steeple in Long Beach and a Jenny. And a couple of elements of B-10Bs went over. Bill Caron, he said he'd buy another beer. I'll buy another beer, Max. Um, I'm going out and sit on the porch and read. Read? What do you want to read for when you can drink beer? Free beer. I found a couple of magazines. Let's see. Uh, Go on, drink your beer. Super science stories. Miraculous stories. You like that kind of junk? Well, what if I do? A lot of hooey. No, they're not. Guys flying rockets and taking off for the moon and malarkey like that. Yeah? Listen, in 20 years, the stuff in these books will be ancient history. What do you mean? In 20 years, people will be flying rockets. In 20 years, they'll be writing the same kind of guck, and people will be flying old-fashioned airplanes, bud, and we'll be shooting them down. You wait and see. Yeah. In another 20 years, airplanes, rocket planes, will be going so fast you won't be able to see them, much less shoot them down. How fast? Oh, a couple thousand miles an hour. A guy couldn't fly that fast. Why couldn't he? Well, he'd, he'd outrun himself. He'd come in for a landing, and 15 minutes later, you'd hear him. You can fly as fast as sound. You're nuts. Well, a bullet flies faster than sound. But there ain't anybody riding it. They get a big enough bullet, somebody will ride it. Bring me another beer. They get me one, I'll fly it. You'd feel pretty funny starting out someplace on Saturday and getting there on Friday afternoon. Yeah, well, listen, it'll happen. In the magazines. These magazines told a lot of things that have come true, Bill. For instance? Well... I couldn't give you an instance right now, but they have. <laughs> I'll take beer. Well, you watch and see. One of these days, I'll come bouncing in someplace in one of these rocket jobs, and you'll be right... I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll kiss your foot at high noon right in front of everybody. Now, you want a beer? You're going to sit there reading about buzzing the man in the moon in the sky rocket. Or what? <laughs> bummed a ride back to the lake after a while, and I went to bed. Bill Carrant was pretty disgusted when he got there and found out he had to stand guard because the sergeant that was supposed to be had broke out with the measles. And he put on his overcoat and stopped by my tent for a cigarette before he went off where it was cold. We talked, and he left, and I went to sleep. Well, I woke up in the middle of the night, see. I couldn't get back to sleep. So I got up and put on my pants and shoes and flying jacket. I went out to the anti-aircraft battery. I said, hey, Carrant. Hey, Bill Carrant. Who's that? Me. Westlake, Max Westlake. What are you doing up? I couldn't sleep. Well, I wish I could. I'm about froze. How much longer you got? Oh, half an hour. Wouldn't have a bottle, would you? Oh, I'm sorry. Gee, pretty night, ain't it? I'll give it to you. Millions of stars. Yeah. Ever fly at night, Bill? And I ain't going to. I ain't going to fly at all. That's well up there with the stars. I'll stay here. I wonder what's up there. I got no curiosity at all. Yeah. I'm going to find out some one day. In your skyrocket? Oh, probably. What was that? Search me. 
Sounds like it came from up there. Probably one of your skyrockets. Well, I don't think there's anybody up tonight. I don't see anything. I wonder what it... Hey. What? Look up there. Where? Right there, by the Big Dipper. What is it? I don't see any... Hey, you know what that is? That's a parachute. Why, Say, that's what it is. Only that's the biggest parachute. There goes the searchlight. They saw it over at A Battery. Gosh, that is a big one. Yeah. Wonder who it is. That's a funny-looking thing. Looks like a box or something. It looks like part of an airplane. There goes the crash truck. I didn't see any airplane, Bill. Maybe it was one of your skyrockets. Oh, shut up. Give me your field glasses. He's gonna hit awful hard. Give me the glasses. Oh, oh he sure did. Yeah, that's part of an airplane, Bill. They're pulling a guy out of it. In some kind of funny suit. What? Soup and fish? That's it. That's kind of like a diver's suit. Kind of like a, a space flyer's suit. I know where he came from. Where? He bailed out of Goofy Stories magazine. I handed back the glasses to Bill Carrot and I walked over to the infirmary. That's where they'd take whoever it was, I figured. And in a minute, the crash wagon came back and they carried the fella in. I sat there a minute to talk to Daniel Webster, the medic that had the duty. They were fussing around with the fella inside the ward, the doc and everybody. I sat there talking. There was a piece of metal lying on a stretcher that one of the medics had picked up where the thing crashed. I looked at it. U.S. Air Force, it was stenciled on it. U.S. Air Force and a number and XF-131. What's XF-131 mean, I said. Why, I said to myself, U.S. Air Force. This is the Army Air Corps. What's the U.S. Air Force? Something new? And what's... XF-131. I know what a P-26 is and a PB-2A and a B-10B, but what's a, an XF-131? And then the doctor called me. I stood up, surprised. Sergeant Westlake, come in here. Sir? I said come in here. Yes, sir. In here. Yes, sir. Ever see that man before? Why, no, sir. Sure? Well, he looks kind of familiar, but... Is he, uh, uh... He's got a slight concussion, and I've given him a shot. Who is he, sir? Is he from here? You don't know him? Why, no, sir, but I... He sure looks familiar, but... What's your first name, Sergeant? Sir? Your first name. Oh, Max. Huh. What's the matter, sir? Sergeant, that man's name is Max Westlake, too. Huh? Only he's a major in the United States Air Force. What do you make of that, Sergeant? Eh? Would you have made of it? I looked at the guy more carefully. And then I saw why he looked familiar. 
I'd seen that puss in the mirror every morning for 22 years. There was the scar on the eyebrow where I drove the car into the lamppost. Only it was on the wrong eyebrow. Then I remembered I wasn't looking into a mirror. I said, Doc, I don't get it. He said, don't you? And I said, well, sir. So I went out. And just as I was going out of the tent, in walks Bill Carrant. And I must have looked funny because Bill grabbed me by the arm. What's the matter with you, Max? Huh? Well, you look as if you see... Wait a minute, Bill. I think I've got something figured out. What are you doing for the love of... I'm taking off my shoes, Sergeant Garrett. What for? Well, it's not exactly high noon, Sergeant. But you're going to kiss my foot just the same. Huh? That's right. Why? Because, the... Sergeant Garrett, that guy in there, that, that guy that flew in here in a skyrocket, that major in there, is me. <laughs> And so the snafu began. I got called over to the colonel's tent right after breakfast. He was sitting there with the doctor. They looked up when I get my heels pretty close together and placed my hand, fingers extended and joined against my right eyebrow. Sit down, Sergeant. Yes, sir. Uh, the doctor tells me this fellow who bailed out last night has the same name you have. Yes, sir. Looks a lot like you too, Sergeant. You know him, Sergeant? Yes, sir. Said last night you didn't. Well, I got it all straightened out in my mind now, sir. Well? He's me, sir. Sergeant, have you lost your buttons? No, sir, I don't think so, sir. Say that again, Sergeant. Sir, I said, no, I don't think so. No, what you said before. Oh. He's me, sir. Cross your knees, Sergeant. Sir? Cross your knees. Yes, sir. Ow! Reflexes are all right. Sergeant, do you mind explaining what you're trying to give us? I've got a tactical program on this morning, and I... Go ahead, Sergeant. Well, sir, it's perfectly simple. Aviation is progressing, sir. So what? Well, sir, it's perfectly simple. This Major Wesley, who is me, <laughs> flew in in something like a rocket plane or something quite a long time in the future. You understand, sir? Go ahead, sir. And he flew so fast, he... Well, he just got here before he started, sir. Sergeant. Sir? Nothing. Go on. Well, sir, that... that's all there is. Sometime I'll be a major like he is. I mean, like I am not... not... What do I mean? I mean, if he's me, I'm a major. But I'm still a sergeant, I mean, I'll be a major, and I'll take off, and when I get here... I mean, when I got here, I'm still a sergeant. Sergeant, please. My head hurts. I'm sorry, sir, but that's what happened, sir. Somebody around here is crazy. Oh, no, sir, not me. Uh, let's try that again, shall we? What, sir? Your theory. I just want to be sure I'm not hearing things, Doctor. Well, if you're hearing them, so am I. Go on, son. Well, sir, some day in the future, I'm going to be a major. You're not if... Well, never mind. Yes, sir. So, someday I'm going to be a major, see, and I'm going to fly a rocket plane or something. How do you know all this, Sergeant? You got a crystal ball? 
No, sir. It's obvious, ain't it, sir? Not to me. You, Doctor? Well, you're going to be a major, sir. Yes, sir. Well, I must be. I'm over there in the tent, ain't I, Doctor? Uh And I'm a major, ain't I? You see? Sir? Uh And someday when I'm a major, sir, I'm going to get into this rocket plane, see, and... Boom! I'm going to take off and I'm going to go so fast that... Gosh, I sure must have been rolling last night. Sergeant, you must want to get out of the Army awful bad. Sir, me? No, sir, I don't want to get out of the Army. What makes the colonel think that? Well, if I ever heard of anybody asking for a transfer to the loony bin, this is it. Sir, I assure the colonel I am not nuts. Well, then, why the dickens are you telling me all this? Sir, the colonel asked me. Okay, go on. You were taking off in a rocket ship. Or something like that, sir. Boom, like I said, I go so fast that I just run out of time and I landed last night. You believe that, Sergeant? Yes, sir. Uh, Where did you, uh, I mean, how did you fall on this, this theory? Well, sir... I read science fiction magazines and... Ah, you do. And I just deduced it. Oh. Sir, rocket travel is perfectly possible. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting theory. Doctor, are you nuts too? I'm really not sure, Colonel. Well, what are you talking about then? I was just looking at this identification card I took out of the uh, Major Westlake's pocket. What about it? It's uh, dated November 24th, 1951. Fifteen years from now. Snafu and snafu and snafu. The colonel, he didn't have any guardhouse or anything. He confined me to my tent. That is, he confined Sergeant Max Westlake to my tent. Major Max Westlake was still out like a light. He, He couldn't talk. And me, I didn't have anybody to talk to, but I thought. And the harder I thought, the surer I was I was right. And the second day I was in there, the colonel came to my tent and he looked about 18 years older. I stood up. Rest, Sergeant. Now listen, I had the doctor take that, uh, that major's fingerprints. And I flew them to Washington to be looked up in the big file. Yes, sir. The dope came back this morning. Yes, sir. I'll read you what they say. Uh, the subject fingerprints are those of Staff Sergeant Max Westlake, and so forth and so forth. There is no record of a Major Max Westlake in the Army Air Corps. By direction, so forth and so forth. Yes, sir, that's the way I figured it. Westlake, if you're running a Sandy on me... Not running a Sandy, sir. Come with me. Where are we going, sir? Right into the infirmary tent. Yes, sir. Now then, you sit here behind this canvas wall and you listen to that fellow talk. Don't say a word. Just nod your head if he's right or shake it if he's wrong. Hear me? Yes, sir. All right. Listen. Major, where did you come from? Here at... You're rock, sir. What outfit are you with? I'm chief test pilot here. I see. And what happened, do you know? Yes, sir. 
I was flying an XF-131. That's the newest experimental rocket job at a speed of about max 7. Uh, what are you talking seven, about? Sir, seven times the speed of sound. Uh, Suddenly, the, the needle flew way over beyond the mark. I got scared, pushed the automatic cockpit release, and bailed out. And, um, how fast do you think you were going then? Well, I should say about 12 times the speed of sound. I see. And, uh, what was the date of your takeoff, Major? Why, December 21st, 1957. Now, look here. You see? You, you, you see, Colonel? You see? Snafu. Wow. Tafu. Fubar. The Army never saw one like this before. They sent us to the general. Yeah, sit down, gentlemen. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, Westlake? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Your brothers? No, sir. No, sir. Now, just a minute. Uh, uh, just a minute, I mean. Uh, Westlake? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Stop. Yes, sir. <clears throat> yes, sir. Sergeant Westlake? Yes, sir. Who is this Major Westlake? She's me, sir. Sergeant, I... We can't prove otherwise, General. That will do, Colonel. Yes, sir. Now, Major Westlake... Who is this sergeant? Sir, I don't know. Well, isn't he your brother? No, sir. Well, who is he then? Answer me. Sir, I think he's me. Doctor, are these men crazy? Not as far as I can tell, sir. Well, what ails them then? Sir, I just work here. Well, now, Major, how come I don't know you? Well, that I couldn't say, sir. Uh, I don't know the general either. Young man, I have been in the Army 28 years. Yes, sir. At 29. I was at Bliss with Lord George Langren when he had the 8th Cavalry. Yes, sir. And I know thousands of officers in the Army. Yes, sir. But I don't know you. No, sir. Young man, do you know the penalty for impersonating an officer? Sir, I'm not impersonating an officer. Here's his identification card, General. <laughs> Is that your picture, Major? Yes, sir. And doesn't look like you. Well, sir, these pictures never look like the people. Oh, that's right. Mine looks like a... Well, this seems to be an order, all right. It is, sir. Uh, I know that. Are those your fingerprints? Yes, sir. They're the sergeants, Washington says, General. Now, now how could that be? Well, sir, they have to be me. But he's me. I, I mean, I'm... I'm us, I mean, sir. Uh, Colonel, has this man ever demonstrated... Uh, uh, has he... Uh, has he... Uh, I mean, has he ever had attacks before? No, sir. He's always been rational, sir. He's one of my best men. He's rational now, General. That is, I think he is. Kind of, I mean. Uh, Sergeant... Do you know that a board may be convened and that they're liable to throw you right out of the army? Sir, I'm not worried about that. Oh, you're not, huh? Why not? Because they can't, sir. I, I have to stay in. Kindly tell me why. Because, well, don't you see, sir, I'm going to be a major and I'm going to fly a rocket plane. The XF-131. What makes you think so? Well, I'm here, sir, after all. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to solve this problem once and for all in a military manner. Major Westlake, 
You are subject to orders, aren't you? Yes, sir, of course. And I want this to be a lesson to you other officers, too. You gentlemen are expected to use your intelligence and initiative and not come bothering me with all sorts of details that could just as well be handled in your own ballywicks. You understand me? Yes, sir. Silence. That is a very simple way to solve this problem, as I said. Major Westlake, you are ordered to return to your base. Sir, I'm at my base. I'm stationed at Muroc Dry Lake. This is Muroc Dry Lake, sir. Well, how did you get here? I flew, sir. Uh, oh, but how did you... I mean, how did you get here now? Sir, I just flew so fast I got here before I started. I didn't ask you, Sergeant. That's right, sir. I flew so fast I got here before I started. Doctor, do you have an aspirin on you? See who that is? Yes, sir. Sir, I found something I thought might be important. Who are you? Sergeant William Terrence, sir. I'm Sergeant of the Guard today. Uh, what have you got there, Sergeant? I don't know what it is, sir, but I found it out there where... We... Where the Major landed? Uh, Major Westlake? Yes, sir. Well, let's see it. Let's see it, Sergeant. I never saw anything like it before, sir, and I thought I'd better bring it to the General. May I see that, please? Well? It's my Mac meter, sir. Your what? Mac meter, sir, an instrument that measures speed. Sergeant Westlake, please. Excuse me, sir. That's what it is, General. It measures speed in terms of the speed of sound. Mac 1 is sound speed. Mac 2 is twice the speed of sound. Uh, let's see it. Hmm. Very curious. Yes, very, very curious. All of a sudden, it got jammed, General. You see the needle is jammed way over here on the pin? It indicated probably 12 times the speed of sound, and that was awful fast, so I bailed out. Uh, see if I can't unjam the needle. Uh, there's a ratchet underneath, sir. Uh, oh, I see. Uh, hmm. <laughs> it's like a speedometer, isn't it? It turns hard. Ah, oh, there. Hey. Where did Major Westlake go? Why, he was right here. I saw I him. I seen him, sir. I was looking right at him. When you turned the, the thing meter back, he just turned all transparent, and then he disappeared. What? Sir, I think the general just unscrewed him right back where he came from. That was it. The general turned the Mac meter backward, and that's all. But I'd like to never get out of all that snafu. Well, I'm a captain now, and it's only nine more years, and I'll be a major. And I'll fly an XF-131 here at Muroc, and my Mac meter will go haywire, and... My gosh, have I... Have I got to go through all that again? title of today's Quiet Please story is One for the Book. It was written and directed by Willis Cooper, and the man who spoke to you was Ernest Chappell. And Dan Sutter played Sergeant Carrant. Melville Ruick was a colonel. The doctor was played by Charles Eggleston. General, Floyd Buckley. As for Major Westlake, well, we leave that for a guess. As usual, music for Quiet Please is played by Albert Berman. Now, for a word about next week, here is our writer-director, Willis Cooper. Thank you for listening to Quiet, please. My story for next week is called My Son John. And so, until next week at the same time, I'm quietly yours, Ernest Chappell. Stay tuned for Our Miss Brooks next on Theater of the Mind. 
Time now for Our Miss Brooks. Now, Eve Arden played the fun-loving but sometimes frazzled English teacher at Madison High, probably the most famous teacher ever on radio. Connie Brooks was a wonderful combination of sincere and smart, and Eve Arden played her perfectly. From the very beginning of that radio run, way back in 1948, Our Miss Brooks became a favorite of women, high school kids, and parents right across the North American continent. As she taught English on the show, it made perfect sense that she had the funny lines. Eve Arden's timing and delivery made her one of the best radio and television comedians, and she's fondly remembered by her many fans. Let's listen in to the episode tonight of Our Miss Brooks. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. August 12th marked the end of summer school duties for the nation's teachers. Among them, our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School. Yes, August is the month when school teachers heed the siren call of travel and see such wonders as the Taj Mahal, the Eiffel Tower, and the Colosseum at Rome. Then they finish their popcorn and leave the newsreel theater. <laughs> Last Friday morning, I left my bedroom and made the long trek to the dinette where my landlady, Mrs. Davis, greeted me with some breakfast. I hope you enjoy your orange juice better than I did mine, Connie. What was the matter with yours, Mrs. Davis? It was too hard. Guess I didn't take it out of the freezer in time. <laughs> oh. I have a brand new deep freeze, you know. It was a gift. You too? <laughs> my brother Victor sent it over. He's such a dear. But Connie... Why did you have to get up so early today? Summer school's all over with, isn't it? Yes, but I've got an appointment at the hairdresser's. Mm. An appointment at the hairdresser's usually signifies a date with a certain biology teacher. Are you having lunch with Mr. Boynton, Connie? You should be a fortune teller, Mrs. Davis. Oh, that's funny. I just got in a brand new supply of tea leaves. Now you wait right here and I'll brew some. Oh, uh, not now, Mrs. Davis. Walter Denton's due any minute to give me a lift. Oh, is your car in the shop again? Yes, I dented my radiator pretty badly the other day. I got a ticket, too, for passing a car on the left. But that's not illegal, passing a car on the left. It is when the car's approaching you. <laughs> I appreciate this hitch, Walter. And it's a beautiful day for a ride. Yeah, it sure is, Miss Brooks. Uh, notice anything different about the car? The car? Why, yes, the top is down. But, Walter, this wasn't a convertible. It was a club coupe with a hard top. Sure. Well, what did you do, take the top off? I didn't have to. It fell off. <laughs> Twelve of us went for a ride the other night. And that's when it happened. Twelve? Walter, you shouldn't put 12 people in one car. Oh, they weren't all in the car. Six of them were on top. <laughs> That's why I caved in, I guess. I guess. I hope no one was hurt. No. No, fortunately, there were all girls inside, and they're pretty soft. <laughs> no, Harriet Conklin got a little annoyed, though. She likes the car better with the top on. Oh, say, that reminds me. I promised to give Harriet a lift downtown also, Miss Brooks. Her dad left the house early this morning, and he's got their car. Uh, do you mind if we pick her up on the way? Not at all, Walter, but please make it snappy. Okay. Uh, she lives right down this block. 
Is that snappy enough for you? <laughs> Great. We can pick up my head on the way back. <laughs> oh, there's Harriet on the porch with her mother. You don't have to come to the door, Walter. I'll be right there. Okay, Harriet. Who's that in the car with you, Walter? Miss Brooks. Who? Miss Brooks! <laughs> That's what we teachers need, publicity. <laughs> Miss Brooks, I'd like to talk to you about something. All right, Mrs. Conklin. Hello, Miss Brooks. Hello, Harriet. I'd like to talk to Miss Brooks alone for a minute, Harriet. Okay, Mother. I'll wait for you in the car, Miss Brooks. Well, my dear, I haven't seen you in ever so long. It has been quite a while, Mrs. Conklin, but I've been working pretty hard at school. Yes, I know. So has Mr. Conklin. He's down there now filing some reports on the summer session. That's what I wanted to talk to you about, Miss Brooks. I think a little vacation would do you a lot of good. Yes, I suppose it would. But... As you know, Mr. Conklin and I have a little summer cottage at Crystal Lake. Now, tomorrow, Saturday, is our anniversary, and I'd like to spend it up at the lake. Why don't you join us and help us celebrate? Well, I really don't know, Mrs. Conklin. You see, in a moment of weakness, I promised Mr. Boynton the entire weekend. Well, when did you do that, Miss Brooks? At lunch in about an hour from now. <laughs> I'm sure he'll accept. Uh, invite me. <laughs> so much the better. Bring Mr. Boynton along. You know, seeing how happy our married life is might give Mr. Boynton some ideas on the subject. Why, Mrs. Conklin, I don't know what you're driving at. <laughs> I've seen you look at Mr. Boynton, Miss Brooks. And when one woman sees another woman look at a man the way you look at Mr. Boynton, Miss Brooks, that woman knows that the other woman is thinking thoughts about that man that a woman has thought about a man since men and women were created. From the picture, little man, you've had a busy woman. <laughs> well, look, Mrs. Conklin, I am fond of Mr. Boynton, but I don't want people to think that oh, I... Well, they will anyway, chasing. so you might as well land him. <laughs> I tell you what. You and Mr. Boynton come up to Crystal Lake tomorrow and you can be our house guest over the weekend. We'll surprise Mr. Conklin. Maybe Mr. Conklin doesn't want to be surprised. You leave Osgood to me, Miss Brooks. He'll be delighted to see you when I get through with him. I'm... <laughs> you know, I think Crystal Lake will be extremely conducive to romance. Mrs. Conklin, you just sold me. When I have lunch with Mr. Boynton today, I'll extend to him your very kind invitation to spend the weekend in your trap at Crystal Lake, a cottage. <laughs> Fine, but remember, Miss Brooks, don't breathe a word of this to Mr. Conklin. Don't worry about that. When Mr. Conklin's around, I hardly breathe at all. <laughs> I, uh, I hope you like the idea of lunching in Marty's malt shop, Miss Brooks. We haven't had lunch here since summer school ended. Oh, I love to eat right across the street from school, Mr. Boynton. Of course, I feel a little like a criminal returning to the scene of the crime, but the food's quite good today. Yes, this chili is delicious. Do you always eat chili that way, with mustard and pepper and horseradish? <laughs> yes, sir. I'm afraid I have a cast-iron stomach, Miss Brooks. Really? Who helped you carry it to school? <laughs> well, uh, I've always liked hot dishes, Miss Brooks. I think spicy things enhance a meal tremendously. That goes for life, too, doesn't it, Mr. Boynton? <laughs> what do you mean, Miss Brooks? Mr. Boynton, instead of our usual Saturday date, how would you like to get out of town for the weekend? What? Leave you all alone? I should say not. <laughs> you wouldn't leave me. I'd be with you. <laughs> Oh, what a shame. You've got chili all over your tie. 
I'm wearing a sports shirt. I haven't got a tie. You have now. <laughs> I didn't mean to shock you, Mr. Boynton, but Mrs. Conklin's invited us up to their summer cottage at Crystal Lake because tomorrow's their anniversary and she wants us to help surprise Mr. Conklin. But why you and I, Miss Brooks? Because Mrs. Conklin's noticed how hard I've worked during the summer session and she thought it would be fun for me. Of course, if you don't want to go, I'll tell her I can't go either. That's all right. I don't have to get any rest or relaxation in <laughs> cool mountains. I can have just as good a time right here, just staring into a mirror and watching the melted powder run down my nose. Uh, please, Miss Brooks, I, I wouldn't want to deprive you of any fun, but... Good. What time will you pick me up tomorrow? <laughs> well, all right. I'll call for you at 10 o'clock. Oh, fine. Then we can... Oh, excuse me a moment, Mr. Boynton. Mr. Conklin just sat down at that table by the window. I'd like to talk to him. I thought we were going to surprise him. Oh, I'm not going to mention our coming to Crystal Lake. I just want to sound him out about my chances of heading the English department in the coming semester. The job's open, you know. Yes, I know. Well, I wish you luck, Miss Brooks. Thanks, Mr. Boynton. I'll be back in a minute. Uh, good afternoon, Mr. Conklin. I'll have the businessman's lunch, miss, but I'll do without the soup and I can do without the potatoes. <laughs> Mr. Conklin, I'm not your waitress. It's me, Miss Brooks. I can do without you, too. I don't want to disturb you during your lunch, Mr. Conklin, but... Good. Then I'll see you later. I just have one brief question to ask, Mr. Conklin. May I sit down for a moment? I suppose so. Have you had your lunch? Yes, sir, with Mr. Boynton over there. Over where? Oh, over there, yes. Quite an attractive tie he has on. <laughs> Miss Brooks, uh, you and Mr. Boynton see a good deal of each other, don't you? Well, now that summer school's over, you we do... We spend quite a bit see... of time together both in and out of school. People are beginning to talk. What people, Mr. Conklin? Well, members of the school board. You're still being considered as the possible new head of the English department. Oh, that's course, just what I wanted uh, don't to... Don't interrupt, Miss <laughs> Naturally, my recommendation will carry a lot of weight with the board. But you know how I feel about fraternization among the faculty at Madison, Miss Brooks. And I... Well, it would be different if you were married or even engaged to Mr. Boynton. Then I wouldn't mind so much. Thanks, heaps. <laughs> I mean, how can one ever get engaged if one doesn't fraternize with one? Or more than one, if necessary, to find... <laughs> that is your problem, Miss Brooks. Uh, my anniversary is tomorrow, and I'm going to surprise Mrs. Conklin with a little trip to Crystal Lake. We have a cottage there, you know. Yes, I know. Now, if I could feel that your conduct over the weekend was above reproach, well, I'd enjoy my vacation that much more. Believe me, Mr. Conklin, you won't be hearing a thing about Mr. Boynton and myself. Good. Tell me, Miss Brooks, there's really nothing to your association, is there? Well, Mr. Conklin, I think I can tell you the truth. Yes, Miss Brooks? My association with Mr. Boynton is the biggest nothing you ever saw. Well, Saturday morning found the Conklins on the porch of their cottage at Crystal Lake. Let's look in on them as Mr. Conklin sways gently to and fro in the porch hammock. Ah, uh, this is the life, Martha. I'm certainly glad we surprised each other with this little trip. 
I knew you'd enjoy yourself here, Oscar. Uh, It'll be wonderful to get away from the school for a few days. Not that I don't enjoy working with my teachers. They're a grand group of people. Cooperative, capable. But it'll be such a relief not to have to look at their long faces for a while. (laughs) Now, dear, you just drop off to sleep and I'll wake you up in about an hour. Uh, Fine, fine. I'll get your bag out of the trunk. Don't forget the little bag and bag. Mm-hmm. There we are. I guess it's right up the porch steps, huh? Yoo-hoo. Anybody home? Yeah? What is it? Who in the world are you... Miss Brooks. <laughs> Mr. Boynton. What are you doing here? That's what I like about Crystal Lake, the hospitality. <laughs> oh, it's you, Miss Brooks, and Mr. Boynton. I'm so glad you could come. Martha, did you have Of course, dear. I asked Miss Brooks and Mr. Boynton to spend the weekend with us. That one surprise I didn't tell you. Aren't you tickled? (laughs) Yes. Act like you're tickled, Osgood, dear. You certainly don't look tickled. Some people tickle easier than others. Uh, Maybe Mr. Cochran would rather be alone. Oh, nonsense, Mr. Boynton. Osgood and I see as much of each other alone as we want to. We're already married, you know. Yes, I know. Congratulations on your anniversary. Thank you, Mr. Boynton. I always say married life is give and take. Me too. (laughs) If you'd given me a little warning, I wouldn't have let you take me here. must be all hot and sticky from your drive up here. I hope you both have a bathing suit. For Mr. Conklin's sake, I hope we each have a bathing suit. <laughs> well, now, I'll just show you where to <laughs> Just follow me, and we'll all get ready for a nice dip. I don't want to go for a dip. <laughs> now, dear, we must do the things our guests want to do. Why? <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, I'm afraid I don't have a suit with me. I forgot to pack it. Oh, that's all right, Mr. Boynton. I'll fix you up with one of Osgood's. Come along. You can nap a few more minutes, Osgood. I'll take the folks in tow. Yes, yes, do that. (laughs) Sounds like he'd like you to tow us about three miles and then sink us. (laughs) Now, you go right in here, Mr. Boynton. You'll find a bathing suit in the bottom drawer of that dress. Oh, thanks, Mrs. Conklin. Now, here's the guest room. You and my daughter, Harriet, are going to share it for the weekend. Now, before I leave you, dear, I want you to know that I planned this weekend for your sake more than anybody's. When Mr. Boynton sees how happy we are, I'm sure he'll start thinking of marriage as the jolly institution it is. Well, what do you say? Are you game? Looks like Mr. Boynton's the game, but it's worth a try. (laughs) You know, I really do like the guy, Mrs. Conklin. I know you do, my dear. Now, one more thing. In addition to our example, I think you should show your domesticity as well. So tonight, I want you to cook the dinner. Me? Definitely. What dish do you prepare best? Soup. (laughs) Uh, What what kind? Campbell's. (laughs) I, I think if you'd cook something yourself, it would make a much better impression on Mr. Boynton. I know. You can barbecue some spare ribs for dinner. Now, get into your suit and I'll see you on the porch. (laughs) Isn't this fun? I I just feel like it's a a regular fox hunt. 
Tally-ho! <laughs> Tally-ho to you, Mrs. Conklin. And I hope we don't all make a bunch of yikes out of ourselves. <laughs> Stop rocking the hammock, Martha. I'm getting seasick. <laughs> now remember, Osgood, we've got to make a good impression for Miss Brooks' sake. I don't like it, Martha. I never did believe in this matchmaking business. Besides, I thought we'd be here alone, at least part of the time. Confounded, all this mountain air going to waste. <laughs> <laughs> it won't go to waste, dear. There's always tonight. Yes. Come here, baby. <laughs> Remember what I used to call you when we were first married? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> call me it again, Martha. All right. <laughs> Sugar cookie. <laughs> Am I really your sugar cookie still? Well, your icing's a little whiter. <laughs> but you're still a sugar cookie to Mrs. Conklin, I'm sure. Miss Brooks, where did you... Hello, Miss Brooks. My, what a lovely one-piece bathing suit. Hello there. Everybody all ready? Oh, it's Mr. Fox. I mean, uh, Mr. Boyd. <laughs> you perfectly, Mr. Boynton. Don't you think so, Miss Brooks? Yes, it's very nice, but aren't the sleeves a little wide at the wrist? <laughs> that is one of my older ones, I believe. That's quite a suit you have on, Miss Brooks. She made it herself, didn't you, dear? Yes, out of an old stocking and some pen wipers. <laughs> it's certainly revealing. I, I never knew you had a beauty mark there, Miss Brooks. Where? Right below your elbow there. Mr. Boynton, you're staring. Isn't he a naughty Dickens? He's about as naughty as Charles Dickens. <laughs> Let's go down to the lake, shall we, Mr. Boynton? Come on, Mr. Boynton, I'll race you to the raft. You're on, let's go. Here we are. I'll help you up, Miss Brooks. Oh, thank you, Mr. Boynton. Oh. <laughs> Welcome aboard, folks. Oh, hello, Mr. Conklin. We didn't know you were out here. All right, my dear. Uh, let's, let's go take a, a boat ride, Miss Brooks. Nonsense. Why should you leave the raft? Why shouldn't they? <laughs> Mr. Boynton. Yes? Last one in is a sugar cookie. driving a motorboat, Miss Brooks. Oh, it's a lot of fun, Mr. Boynton, but I'm glad nobody's fishing on this lake. This outboard motor's kind of noisy. Oh, I don't think it's so bad. Not so bad. If I was a fish and I heard this thing over my head, I'd go hide in a tree. Uh, I think you'd better turn around now. We're pretty far from the pier. All right. Say, that's funny. This steering wheel seems to be stuck. Oh, here, let me give you a hand. Isn't that a rowboat in that little cove we're heading for? A rowboat? 
Yes, it is. I'd better cut the motor off. We're heading right for them. Oh. Yep. The ignition lever is stuck, too. Oh, you've got to do something, Mr. Boynton. We're getting pretty close to that rowboat. Look out! Get out of the way! Quick, Miss Brooks, lie on the bottom of the boat. I can't stop it. Oh! What happened? Did we hit them? No, thank heaven. We, we just missed them. It, it's all right now. I've got everything under control. Oh, well, the least we can do is go back and apologize for scaring them like this. Oh, you're right, Miss Brooks. Here, I'll turn around. We're terribly sorry, folks. Oh, that's all right, Miss Brooks. <laughs> we didn't really want to catch any fish here. It's the crocodiles. Don't worry about the fish, Mr. Conklin. I'm going to barbecue us all some dinner. Are you really, Miss Brooks? What are you going to barbecue? Me. <laughs> I love eating out in the open air. I'm sure the spare ribs Miss Brooks barbecues will be delicious. Don't you think so, Osgood? I think I should have made them my barbecue. <laughs> but Mr. Boynton will enjoy them so much more Because Miss Brooks did it Won't you, Mr. Boynton? Well, yes, Harriet, I suppose Here I... they are, folks I hope they turned out all right Oh, I'll bet they're delicious Might as well taste it <coughs> What is this, anyway? No good Tastes like charcoal did you do what I told you, dear? Barbecue the ribs slowly with a nice, smooth, glowing bed of coals? Certainly, I had a lovely bed of glowing coals right over the ribs. <laughs> I don't think I'm very hungry. This mountain air sure fills you up. Maybe you ought to stop breathing a while. You don't want to make a pig of yourself. I'm going into the house and cook myself an egg. Oh, wait, dear. I'll fix you something. You can't cook any better than she can. Daddy, well, this is your anniversary dinner. Yes, dear. Let's be cheerful. Oh, how we danced on the night we were waiting. Anniversary, my foot. I'm going inside. Danced and we danced, but she wouldn't drop dead. <laughs> There, dear. Wasn't that a nice snack? And just the two of us alone in the kitchen. Well, it was better than those barbecued rocks. <laughs> Martha, if that poor Mr. Boynton falls for Miss Brooks, now, I think... Now, dear, we agreed to forget all about it. Let's go out and sit in the hammock together. The mountain air's still with us, you know. And it's quite dark on the porch. All right, Martha. What's it? What's it? Who's that in the hammer? It's us, Daddy. Us? Harriet and me, Mr. Conklin. Happy anniversary! <laughs> it's Walter Denton, Daddy. He got here while you were inside. I invited him yesterday to surprise you. This is the last straw. Now, calm down, Osgood. Remember your blood pressure. It gives him kind of a purpley look, doesn't it? <laughs> You've got to be calm. Let's go for a little stroll, Martha. Maybe we'll run into Mr. Boynton and Miss Brooks somewhere. I doubt it, Mr. Conklin. We're at the other end of the hammock. Oh! <laughs> I'll be all right. I'll be fine. Come, Mother. Let's go into our bedroom and go to sleep. Maybe when I wake up in the morning, 
This will all be a bad... Oh, we can't go into our bedroom together, Osgood. Now that Walter's here, Harriet and Miss Brooks and I will have to share our room. And you and Walter and Mr. Boynton will have to sleep in the guest room. What? <laughs> now this has gone far enough. I'm going to tell you people something. Uh, before you do, Mr. Conklin, I'd like to ask you a question. What is it? How are my chances of being appointed head of the English department? You don't have to answer now. You can think it over and tell me right after I've blown my brains out. <laughs> well, Mrs. Conklin finally got Mr. Conklin back to a fairly neutral shade of purple. And acting on her suggestion, I steered Mr. Boynton down to the pier for a little moonlight fishing. Oh, it's wonderful fishing at night, isn't it, Mr. Boynton? Look at that moon. Yes, some fish bite much more frequently when the moon's out. Let's see, the last time I went fishing at night, I was alone. Except for McDougal, of course, my pet frog. Oh, we've had some great times together. Yes, I know you have, but now it's my turn. That is, if you don't mind, Mr. Boynton. Mind? Come here, baby. <laughs> Why, Mr. Boynton... Look at the size of this baby I just landed. This trout must be about four pounds. <laughs> oh, gosh, Miss Brooks, this is my third fish. You haven't caught a thing tonight, have you? You ain't just beating your gills, frog boy. Next week, tune into another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Carmel and Soap, your beauty hope. Lusted Queen Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler, Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Gloria McMillan, and Vivi Janice. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North Tuesday evening over most of these same stations. Be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, Columbia Broadcasting. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.